0: Okay, here's the message for the day. Throw away your furniture. You heard me right. Your chairs, your beds, your couches, your love sacks, whatever you've got, you don't need them. We're going to talk about that maybe on today's episode of the Movement Movement, the podcast for people who want to know the truth about what it takes to have a happy, healthy, strong body, starting typically feet first, because you know those things are your foundation. And here we break down the propaganda, the mythology, and sometimes the flat out lies you've been told about what it takes to run or walk or play or dance or do yoga or CrossFit or whatever it is you like to do for fun. And to do that effectively and efficiently and enjoyably and especially enjoyably, because you're not having a good time, you're not going to keep it up anyway. So find something you like and find something you want to do it with. Have a good time doing that. I'm Stephen Sashen from ZeroShoes.com, your host of the podcast. We call it the movement movement because we, and that includes you, I'll tell you how in a second, are creating a movement movement about natural movement, letting your body do what bodies are made to do, not getting in the way and interfering with modern technology. I'm not actually okay with technology, but sometimes it doesn't actually do what people think. And the way you're part of this is really simple. Um, Just spread the word. If you like what we hear, then just tell people about it. Go to our website, www.jointhemovement.com. You don't need to do anything to join. There's no fee. There's no secret handshake. We don't have a song that we sing every morning, but that's where you'll find all the previous episodes, where you can subscribe to hear about upcoming episodes where you can find uh, all the places we have the podcast and all all the places we're on social media where you can jump in and share and have some fun. So speaking of having fun, why don't we get started um, with our guest who I'm not even going to introduce because I want her to do it. Tell people who you are and what you do.
1: Um, Hello there. My name is Amira Lamb, and I live in New York City. I'm a group fitness instructor, fitness expert. I do all things fitness. I've been doing it since 1994 and 1995. As soon as I graduated from high school, I've been involved in all elements of the fitness industry. I appreciate you.
0: Well, oh, interesting. we'll have to have that conversation. I appreciate you uh, saying I graduated high school in 94, 95. I don't think I've felt so old in months after uh, hearing someone say something. Because, <laughs> <saying that>. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not so bad. I graduated high school in 1980. So that's not too bad. But for some okay. reason... Hearing 94, it's like, oh Jesus. And now, since I teased this, Amir, by saying, throw away your furniture, um, you are clearly sitting on furniture. Would you like to comment on that?
1: Yes. So typically I'm never in on furniture. Whenever I'm at home, I'm always on the floor. So I'm trying to like look like a civilized person by sitting on my furniture. But normally, I'm never I'm never on the sofa. <laughs> so, it's just kind of very uncomfortable.
0: So you're sitting, when you're having food, same thing, when you're...
1: Honestly, yes.
0: (laughs) You know, I mean, we have delightful furniture um, and not infrequently, same thing. Um, Sitting on the floor, having dinner on the floor. We have a great couch in front of our big TV. Half the time I get in front of the couch and sit on the floor and I'm stretching or doing something. And it's one of those things, I don't know about you, but when I do it, I keep thinking growing up, this never happened. This is not how my anyone in my family behaved. They would have told me to get off the floor. So what got you off furniture?
1: What got me off furniture? I actually growing up, I spent a lot of time on the floor anyways, unless I was seated at the table to eat or if I was maybe doing homework. But other than that, I've always been really active. So I would do tricks and flips or exercise or do handstands against the wall growing up. So I was never really, I don't remember sitting all that much. And if I were to sit, it would be on the floor for sure.
0: You know, the only time I remember my dad being on the floor was when he was trying to build something like, you know, put together a, a coffee table or a TV stand, uh, which invariably he would lose the instructions and never get it done correctly. Uh, so, But that's, but that's my only memory of, of, you know, ever seeing an adult on the floor growing up.
1: Oh, uh, okay. So for adults, yes, I would see them on the furniture, <laughs> but me personally, yeah. I would, I would be on the floor.
0: Well, and you said also doing handstands to get the wall, were you ever doing gymnastics things?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. When I was younger, I did gymnastics and some dance.
0: So I was a former, I am a former All-American gymnast. And I love when someone says handstands because typically only gymnasts will use the word handstand in a sentence, And um, only I'd never met anyone who wasn't a gymnast who understands why it feels so good to get upside down.
1: Oh yeah. It feels incredible. I still, I do it still. And I'm going to be 47 this year
0: yeah, no, I, I do the same. In fact, I bought a set of parallettes and been, you know, doing handstands on those and against the wall and you know, like all of those things. And I wish more people could, I don't even know, I haven't thought about doing something to help people get more comfortable getting upside down that way. Cause it really is, it just resets my whole brain.
1: Hmm. Yes, I agree. Even doing simple things like um, down dogs from yoga, even that just inverted feels good.
0: That one never quite did it for me. I'll admit
1: I mean, it's not the same, but.
0: (laughs) So you mentioned even bodybuilding. This Mm -hmm. is a fascinating world. Um, I have a friend who lives down the street who's a former Mr. America, which is a crazy thing to be able to say of of yourself just because of the sound of that. Um, Mm -hmm. I talked to a guy yesterday, not in the bodybuilding world, but a very well-known former power lifter. But the bodybuilding game is like a whole other universe. How and when did that happen for you?
1: Um, I started... Let's see. I started strength training or bodybuilding as soon as I graduated from high school and I started teaching group fitness. So I started teaching in a gym. And so I started strength training and then I just continued strength training. And I used to look up to the people who competed in Fitness America. I used to want to compete in Fitness America pageants, um, which is bodybuilding, but softer. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's in that world.
0: Well, let's just say it this way it wasn't about getting huge.
1: No, it was never about getting huge. Right. It's about getting um, defined more muscular, but not, it wasn't about size. It was more about proportion and just, there was a look to it. So I always wanted to compete in Fitness America. And then I thought about competing in figure. I never had the time. Also, I come from like a really strict upbringing, religious upbringing. So So my parents would never, they would not condone something like that.
0: Pause right there. What religious text explicitly says no bodybuilding allowed?
1: None, except that when you're on stage, you're not wearing that much. And it's a very, and it it can look, it can look like a very self-oriented practice, which, you know, to an extent it is. So it's just not something that my parents were cool with. So I waited till I was older. But it's also a very expensive sport. So it took me a while to, there's so much involved in competing, so much. Until finally, one year, I had two friends who were going to do a show. Um, One of them dropped out. And then the other woman was like, "Amira, you should do this competition. You should do it. Yeah, you have like, um, I forget how many months, maybe six months. And I've been training for years already. So I really just had to diet down. And get my stage presentation together. So she connected me to her coach, and I ended. My second friend she ended up dropping out. She didn't end up competing, but I ended up doing the show. And I went into the show totally open minded. It was for bikini for um, in the NPC federation. So I went in totally open-minded. I was like, whatever happens, happens. If I don't expect to win. I don't expect anything. I just turned 35. So I competed in the Open, which is all ages, and then also Masters, which is 35 and over. So for my first show, I placed second in Open, and then I placed first in Masters. So then I was like, oh, wait a second. And like when something like that happens, you're bit by a bug. And then you just want to keep going. I wasn't planning on continuing. I was just going to do that one show to see how it went. And then I just kept going. So my second show, every show I did really well. I typically won master's and then placed at least in like the top four for open. I was always very close to turning pro. So then finally I did turn pro. And then I did a couple shows as an IFBB bikini pro.
0: So I want to ask two questions and if I don't get them out of my head, I'll forget one. One is I'm dying to hear what the difference was between competing not pro versus pro. But the other thing, the first thing you said is, you know, doing this is really expensive oh. and that's not something most people would think of. Cause like you go to the gym, you lift weights, you do whatever, you eat some food. I mean, where's, so talk to me about the cost part and then talk to me about what happened after you went pro and what that, what the difference was.
1: Okay. So for the costs, suits for women, are about $500 and up.
0: Wait, hold on, hold on. (laughs) Five square inches of sequins material is 500 bucks up? Holy moly. Yeah. Ah, Yeah.
1: It didn't start like that. Like when they first started with the bikini division, it was, I think some women even had like off the rack bikinis that you can get from a store but now everything's custom, blinged out, and it's so expensive. So for my first show, I had a really inexpensive suit. I remember the cost for whatever reason. <laughs> it was like, it was $75, I think. And, but it just wasn't right. I really needed a better suit. But I've had suit issues my entire competing, my, whatever it's called, my, my entire timeline of competing. Suit malfunctions, just the wrong suit.
0: Pause being right
1: there. Too big. Pause,
0: pause right there. Please describe suit malfunctions.
1: <laughs> I had one situation, maybe two, where the glue helped me. Like if there was no such thing as <laughs> bikini bite, I wouldn't have been able to get on a stage. Because it was literally the glue that was holding the bikini bottoms up.
0: Oh, jeez.
1: Horrific. Because, yeah, yeah, because you lose, for me, I end up losing so much weight during, like, the final week, but even on the final day, because you end up um, eliminating water. So I don't take drugs, but I do take herbs to get rid of the extra body water. So when I've done that, like... I just shrink. Everything shrinks on competition day, including even my feet. My feet shrink. My whole everything shrinks.
0: Oh my god! I, um, you know, this is a conversation that, that I, I would adore having with a male bodybuilder as well, because that's even crazier. If that malfunctioned, uh, that would be uh, <laughs> insane in the membrane. Oh man. Okay. So, so anyway, so five hundred bucks plus. Holy, yes. holy for some dental floss and a little bit of gauze. And mm-hmm. then um, uh, what other cost? I mean, you're not taking, if you're not on gear, you're not taking drugs. That's a cost you're not incurring. And that can be tremendous. Right. Are there any, any other things that people would never imagine that, you know, factor into doing this where you're fronting all the costs? Mm-hmm.
1: Tanning. So some people go to a tanning bed before the actual spray tan, but the spray tan process, that's I'll try to remember the cost. I want to say $200, but then there's also the makeup, like the whole hair, makeup, the um, the jewelry that you wear. Like my earrings were, those can be like $50 and up for earrings for the stage. And then bracelets, same thing, like $50 <laughs> here and there. Lashes, there's really so much. Oh, and then also what you wear backstage, usually have to travel, usually have to stay in a hotel. Oh, and then if you have a coach, you have to pay your coach. Right. And then you have to pay for the coach to be able to come backstage. There's a fee for that. Oh. Then also, if you're not pro, you have to pay to enter the competition. So to pay to enter the competition, I want to say that it's at least $100 per, per division. It's either $100 or $200 per division. And now there's so many divisions. So now that people are doing it for years, they're not just retiring. There's open, then there's master's 35 and over, then there might be master's 40 and over, 45 and over, fifty and over, 55.
0: And you got to pay for every one of those. (laughs) Holy, oh, that's crazy.
1: There's a ton of money. There's a ton of money involved.
0: Wow. And so then when you turn pro, what changes?
1: You don't have to pay to enter competitions. And a, then you can have the opportunity to win money if you're in like the top five.
0: And um, I know for some, obviously, at that point, I mean, you don't need to be pro, but I imagine it certainly helps if you're getting any sort of endorsement things or doing any modeling or anything like that. that I imagine that just really opens up once you turn pro as well, mm. or it could.
1: It's almost like a, a carrot that's dangled in front of people. Really? It's 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 great. Like I'm so happy and proud to be an ISBB pro. However, it doesn't necessarily mean anything. You know, like, <laughs> only people in that world really know what it means.
0: Right, right. And so um, that's really, you know, it's funny. It's very clear to me. There are a couple of, I don't know much about on the women's side. I know on the guy's side, there are like a couple of guys who make extremely large amounts of money. And there's a whole bunch of guys who are not, and the gap is you know massive. Um, it, it occurs to me I have to tell you the story. You'll get a kick out of it. I don't remember what inspired me. I think maybe just one day I opened the newspaper and saw an ad that said you know, I was living in Boulder, Colorado at the time, and it was the the Colorado. Wait, what was the oh man, Colorado amateur bodybuilding and something, something anyways, big bodybuilding competition, Oh, Northern Colorado amateur bodybuilding competition. So it was was fitness. It was bodybuilding. It was like every category they had. This is let's call it 15 years ago. And I went, oh, this would be cool. And so I went and it was one of the most wonderful events that I've ever been to for a couple of reasons. One, it was just fascinating. So you mentioned getting spray tan, you know, you see people on stage or you see people off stage and, it looks like they've just been hit with some some uh, um, Dutch boy black paint. And then they get on stage and it looks like they just have a bit of a tan. So seeing the difference is really fascinating. Mm-hmm. But the thing that was so amazing about it, there was two parts. One, I've never been in an audience that was more supportive of the people on stage in my life because there was people on that stage who clearly weren't ready to be on that stage. And everybody else in that room has been that person before. And I mean, it was so unbelievably touching and wonderful and moving seeing that. And also just Boulder, Colorado, seeing a bunch of bodybuilders, it was an unusual thing. And so I liked seeing communities that are not normally represented in Boulder. That was fun. Um, but I mean, I mean, literally I was in the back row like crying at how how supportive everybody was. Um, and then they had some IFBB pro uh, male bodybuilder show up to guest pose. And one year I was there, it was a guy named Gunter Camp. Gunter in the off season weighed 325 pounds and he is posing on stage. Then he starts running out in the audience to pose in front of people. And everyone is keeping their respectful distance except for me. <laughs> I'm like running up, getting as close to this guy as I can. Cause it's like, it looks like someone took a cow apart and put it back together underneath your skin. I'd never seen a human being that big before. And it was just mm-hmm. blowing my mind. It was totally, totally fascinating. Whether you find it attractive or not, independent, like, like anthropologically, it's one mm-hmm. of the most outrageous things you've ever seen. It just doesn't seem real or possible. And um and and so that was just terribly, terribly fascinating. And I went back for you know years to watch that show because it was just again, just utterly, utterly delightful. Anyway. Yeah
1: that's, shows are fun.
0: yeah, that's that's my story. And I wasn't even part of it. I was just, you know, like there's a third party observer. And it was it was anyway, dreamy. All right. So bodybuilding. So when did you stop competing?
1: I did not compete during the shutdown. So I think the show, my last show was. The year
0: before the shutdown got it and so you know this is funny this is going to sound horrible i when we got in touch with you and vice versa about um, being on the show there were some things that you said there's like oh yeah i definitely want to talk to you i have no memory of what any of those were and if i was smart i would have looked them up but i had i was in a hospital having some surgery for a week and then i came back and had covid for a week and my brain just turned on like this morning so i don't have a whole lot to say but or a whole lot to ask other than like, if you have any memory of what was interesting to you about wanting to be here. Otherwise I have a fun question to ask after that.
1: Okay. So wanting to be on this, on this episode of the show.
0: Yeah. What are you doing here?
1: (laughs) We actually met, we met, um, I don't know how many years ago, especially with the shutdown, like my, my time was all messed up, but we met, we were at a mutual friends conference, Emily Spickle. She oh my had, god.
0: Thank you. Yeah. Oh, yes.
1: so embarrassed. <laughs> it was in Colorado. No, it was a barefoot conference right. at the time. I remember your company, but you only had sandals at the time. Right. And I also remember there was like it wasn't a competition necessarily, but it was a high jump competition. Vertical jump. And your yeah. technique was so on point. That's what I remember. Well,
0: <laughs> First of all, I'm so, I mean, A, I'm, if, I, if I were the kind of person who got embarrassed, I'd be so embarrassed, but um, mostly it's like, right. I was going, I knew you looked familiar and I just couldn't place it in my brain. And I'm also really bad out of context. Like if mm-hmm. I meet somebody somewhere and then see them somewhere else, it doesn't register. Like my joke about that is I meet some lady on the street. And it's like, God, you look familiar. She goes, yeah, I'm your mother. It's like, oh, you live at home, right? That's the, you do the cookies, that's you. So I'm like horrible that way. So yeah, that was a that was a very entertaining event. Emily Splickle, um, a surgical podiatrist who's very, has been teaching about barefoot movement as well. So what got you to go to that event? And what did you, and yeah, let's start there.
1: Okay, so I've known Emily forever. <laughs> well, since, yeah, for a very long time. So I've also, I'm also one of her students. So I take her courses and her certifications and she was holding this conference in Colorado. I wanted to attend because I'm very much into barefoot training. So I went, I think I assisted also with something. You definitely
0: um, did, but I don't remember. I won't remember what.
1: I remember helping. I remember helping her put it together like the day before. I don't remember exactly, but yes, yeah, so I wanted to attend because This is my thing. Like, I love barefoot training and minimalist footwear. I've always, I've been like about that since, like, since I was young. But Mm. then I've been wearing minimalist shoes since I want to say two thousand five.
0: Is there any is there any um, overlap between that and what you were doing or discovering when you were either strength training or training for bodybuilding?
1: Um. Well, I didn't start training bodybuilding until much later. Right. So I started training. I did my first show when I was 35. I'm going to be 47 this year. So you can do the math there. I started training. I started wearing minimalist footwear training in 2005. So I don't I don't know if there was actual overlap. It's just something that I was already doing.
0: Right. Well, I asked... That's interesting because, I mean, I asked in part because... Um, I talked to, I've talked to a couple of powerlifters lately. They've reached out who were saying, oh, once they switched to something minimalist, they started setting personal bests. And my, the first one was someone who said, I set a personal best in the bench press. And my initial reaction, my kind of knee-jerk reaction was like, huh? And then I instantly remembered pro powerlifters, they say, oh yeah, bench press starts with your feet. And as does almost everything else you would do. And so I didn't know if there, if that was something you were, conscious of, or it was just part of your life. And so it never, you never had the experience of making that change and going, Holy crap.
1: Yeah, it was just part of my life. But one thing it's not with, it's not related to bodybuilding, but it's related to um, teaching fitness classes. Yeah. So occasionally I would um, forget my shoes. <laughs> so so I I'd, I'd go to the gym, I'd be like, Oh no, I don't have my shoes. What will I do? So then I had to teach class barefoot and it felt so much better. <laughs> and I had like dreamt about like a shoe that just would allow my feet to feel free while working out because I hated like having all my toes squished together. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> Did you ever think to try and invite other people in the class to kick off their shoes?
1: Yes, I have. People have copied me.
0: How do how do they respond to that? I mean They do- love
1: it. They yeah. love it.
0: It's something that I can imagine, I mean, like, you know, it's my favorite thing at a gym where I hear from someone who goes to a gym and they go, Well, they said I can't I can't go barefoot. And then I go, ask them why. They go, Well, in case you drop something on your foot. I go, Well, how is the fraction of a millimeter of nylon that's covering your toes and your shoes gonna make a difference? And mm-hmm. uh, I said, try asking them that. And then of course they have no response. Well, here's what you do: you walk in in shoes, and then you just take them off when you're working out till someone notices. Then you put them back on until they leave, <laughs> and then you take them off again. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've never—you know—the only place I've ever gotten hassled about being in bare feet uh, is Whole Foods in Boulder. Yeah,
1: do you go, do you go uh, grocery shopping barefoot.
0: You don't? No. <laughs> oh my god, it's the best.
1: No. <laughs>
0: It's awesome. So my my line is, um, go to the produce section on a hot summer day when the, when the misters turn on. It's the closest thing to being a kid running through a sprinkler. It's The floors, are they're totally smooth. They're nice and cool. I go barefoot a lot of places. I was in Costco a while ago. And if I'm wearing shoes, I wear mismatched colors. And so for some reason, I was wearing shoes. And the guy behind me in the pharmacy line says, hey, your shoes don't match. And the pharmacist, without even looking up or missing a beat, says, he's wearing shoes? So... Where are places that you have not ventured out barefoot and why? Not that you should, but you know, just for the fun of it.
1: Well, there is a difference between Colorado and New York City.
0: So I was in New York two weeks ago, and yes, I did walk around in bare feet. Ha.
1: Yeah, but I'm sure that people who saw you
0: thought I was nuts.
1: That you were not a New Yorker. <laughs> I, no well,
0: New I New had been, I was lived I lived in New York for ten years. No, they would they would know from a mile away because my clothes weren't all black. But New York is one of those places where you know you can get away with almost anything and no one will really care. But yeah. it's doable. I've done it.
1: It's doable. But... <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right. Okay. Do it. Just go go walk around the block once. Just try it once.
1: No. No. One time.
0: half a block. No. Go to Absolutely the club. Hit a bodega. <laughs> Answer the door. Anything. <laughs> He's definitely not. <laughs> I, I say, I say all this because it's actually, it's one of those things that's really interesting because if you tried it, I'm not suggesting you do, there are a couple of interesting things that happen. One, you feel incredibly self-conscious um, and you kind of prepare yourself for people to say things that almost never happens. And the um, then the other thing is um, you notice how weird it is that people notice from really far away. Like it's very strange how attuned we are to people's feet and if you're wearing some weird shoe or you're in bare feet people spot you from like 50 yards away it's really wild That's um yeah mm-hmm. and it's just a fascinating thing to watch what your you know mind does about who you think you are when you're walking around barefoot in some place where people don't my favorite is when kids come up with their parents or they'll they'll say to their parents um hey that man's not wearing shoes and then you hear what the parents say and sometimes they're they're hip enough to say, well, why don't you ask him why? And they'll ask me, "Why? how come you don't wear shoes? I said, do you like wearing shoes? And they go, no. I go, yeah, me either. <laughs> or I say, have you ever been to the beach? And they go, no. I'm, or yes. I said, do you wear shoes at the beach? They say, no. I said, why don't we just pretend we're at the beach? And they go, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I've never seen a kid, you know, kick off his of shoes and have his parents be okay. But um, but it's yeah. just it's just a fascinating thing. And conversely... There's times lately where I put on shoes when I'm going out because I'm just not in the mood for the conversation. So, but even that's kind of a fascinating thing. Anyway, back to you for back to you for the win. So, how have you taken any things that you've done with Emily, and aside from whatever you may have discovered in your own life, what else are you doing with that with other human beings?
1: I teach um, barefoot strength classes. So there's that. Um, I do a lot of like rolling. So she has a neuro ball. Mm -hmm. So I use it for the entire body, but specifically for the feet, I use it for the feet, (laughs) which is great. Um, I also, a lot of my clients use her products. So she also has um, a mat, which is fantastic for barefoot training. Yeah, but that's, that's really it.
0: So when you're, when you're doing a barefoot strength program for people who are watching slash listening, what are some things that you do that maybe they could try?
1: They could try incorporating short foot while doing squats or lunges. So Sorry. that's where. Yeah, describe well, that one. I do my own type of short foot, I should say.
0: Mm, so let's hear <laughs> your secret safe with me.
1: All right, so it's more of just focusing on splaying the toes, and then as you. Come up, that's when you begin to grip with. Oh, the here, wait.
0: Movement. So, so like if you're this is going to be one of those annoying things where I'm going to ask you to teach people who are not here. So, right. walk through, give the instructions to people, if they're somewhere where they can try it, they can try it.
1: Okay. You know I'll have them do a wall sit. They can practice working their feet while in a wall sit. Um, so. In a wall, squat, wall sit. So if they're in a wall squat, their back would be against the wall, their feet would be out, and their thighs would be parallel to the floor. And then from there, they could just um, practice splaying their toes, lifting and splaying the toes, and then gripping and just Mm -hmm. feeling the body sensation. So they might feel their pelvic floor lifts or their abdominals engage more. That's one Thing they could do, something else they could do um, would be a split squat or a lunge. And while lowering, they would splay the toes of their front foot. And then to initiate coming up, they would initiate from their feet. So right. it's almost like you're gripping or using your feet to lift yourself up, as opposed to just driving through your heel.
0: That's a really interesting thing. The image that you gave me as I was doing that, There's this concept that um, this guy, uh, Pavel Tsatsulin, who brought kettlebells to America or made people aware of kettlebells, he refers to it as irradiation. Like if you're going to do a pull-up, gripping the bar as hard as you can because that sort of – it's really – I mean, I think there's some mythology around this, but it kind of signals from your hand down that, hey, something's about to happen. And so it kind of preloads or pre-potentiates the the motion. So doing that Mm -hmm. with a lunge or a squat of of like splaying the toes on the way down, then gripping to almost have that be the initiating thing to push you up. That's a Mm -hmm. really interesting uh, a way to play with that. I really like that.
1: Yeah, it's like a way of grounding or rooting yourself to the floor too.
0: Yeah, yeah, that that's those are good ones. Um, So are you only teaching in and around New York?
1: Um, I teach on Zoom as well.
0: Oh, well then we will we will come to that in the not too distant future and. Find, people can find out how to participate with you. Did, did you start doing that just during the pandemic or did that happen before?
1: Yeah, I did. Um, yeah. During the pandemic, that's when I started doing Zoom.
0: How did that change your coaching, teaching life, discovering that you could start doing things online and not just with humans in real life?
1: Well, before the shutdown, um, I'd already started training people who were taking my classes online. So a lot of times people take classes, they work so hard in my classes, but they weren't seeing the results, mostly because of their nutrition. Mm. So I created an online program for the people in my classes to incorporate nutrition so that they could get the results that they wanted. But I would also give them training programs to do in the weight room so that they weren't just stuck in the group class setting. So... They saw awesome results. So I already had that set up before the pandemic and then or before the shutdown. And then I had um, with the shutdown, I just expanded it to Zoom. <laughs> so it was a combination of the nutrition, but not so much the weight training since all the gyms were closed. So right. it was back to group classes in a sense.
0: What, what um, do you find either one more or less satisfying than the other?
1: You mean Zoom versus in-person? Yeah. Huh, that's... I like both.
0: What What do you find... What are the differences that make, you know, the kind of balance them out?
1: Nothing beats the energy of a classroom. So there's that. And then for Zoom, it's all... It's like all my people that, I've, that have been with me for years. We've mm-hmm. been together for years. So it's... That's a community. Whereas now... After the shutdown, now that things are open up. I'm actually working for other companies, so it's like a new crop of people. But I still love the in-person experience and that feeling.
0: So, but Zoom, so
1: those people are my people.
0: <laughs> so where are you doing in-person stuff?
1: Um, in-person, I teach for Lifetime mostly.
0: Got it. Their offices are right down the street. Oh, really? Well, they have two offices. They have the ones in was it like Minneapolis or somewhere in the upper Midwest, and then there's an office yeah. here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um and uh so yeah, it's a fun one. Um e What I- I'm 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 there's like a whole bunch of thoughts going through my head, and I can't find the one that I want to land on next. Um, this is gonna sound sort of odd, but um going back to bodybuilding things for the fun of it, was there any transition effects for you when you decided to stop competing?
1: No, because <laughs> <laughs> actually was planning after my last show. I was planning on competing one more time, at least to redeem myself, because I didn't prepare for that show well. So I kind of block it from memory. And (laughs) I'm like, that show didn't happen. That was my worst show ever. Um, The one before that was probably my best show ever. So I really wanted to redeem myself. But then the shutdown happened. And I don't know, like, I'd still love to redeem myself. At the same time, competing is really hard because I want, I want so many specific situations. To, like I want the, the venue and the hotel to be under the same roof. <laughs> um, ideally, I'd want it to be in Florida. Ideally, I'd want it to be hosted by a specific promoter. So there are too many, there are too many variables. <laughs> I don't know if things would all line up. Do you miss oh, it? And also, one more thing. I love preparing. I love prep. Show day is very difficult for me because you don't drink water and it's a long day. You have the tanning. Tanning is hard. Tanning is hard because you're in like a hotel room with a bunch of like little tents set up where you can stand and then everyone's naked and then they just do spray tanning and it's so cold. Then their fans blowing on you and it's just you're freezing and I don't like being cold. So the tanning experience turns me off. <laughs> like it's the fans being cold. And then once you get your layer of tanner on, it's um, when you stay at a hotel, you have to bring your own sheets because you um, otherwise you just destroy like the furniture and the sheets and everything. So show like the, the day before the show and show day are very <laughs> challenging and unenjoyable. <laughs>
0: yeah. I mean, this is a thing, the kind of irony or um, there's a better word for it that I can't find about, about any of those fitness things, bodybuilding or fitness, anything in between is that, It's all about being fit, being healthy, being the best you can be. And on that day, those last couple of days, you are the exact opposite of that.
1: Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're emaciated. You're dehydrated.
0: It's hard. But when you said you enjoy the prep, I mean, even the dieting? Mm
1: -hmm. I love it. Really? Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Wow. What do you yeah. do? Is there anything Is there anything specific about it that you find enjoyable or just like the putting yourself through it that you find that challenge pleasant?
1: I like the regimen. I like discipline. It's fun for me. <laughs> it's <laughs> highly enjoyable.
0: <laughs> it's like, you know, you've got your whole day. I mean, literally every moment, including everything you put in your mouth, like mm-hmm. planned out.
1: Yeah. Because- once all of that is planned out, it's like I can think about other things. I, love- I don't have to think about training. I don't have to think about what I'm going to be eating. Like that's set.
0: Oh my god, I love it! And when you're in diet mode, are you eating basically the same thing just day after day after day?
1: Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: And you're, and that doesn't, fi- you don't find your brain just wanting to explode because of the monotony of it. No. Yeah love it i think you know this is there's a, a number of times where i've uh seen various people in the fitness world talk about this they go and even the guys who are like you know the open uh bodybuilders who are taking uh very interesting amounts of drugs who they say everyone thinks that it's just that if they took the drugs they could look like this like no 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 you got to be someone who can handle and enjoy the kind of things that you just described which mm-hmm. is a whole other universe for most people yeah That's- it
1: is extreme it's different
0: was And was that something that you knew about yourself, or did you just discover that as you got into fitness and bodybuilding?
1: No, I've always been like that.
0: <laughs> How did it show up before you started applying it here
1: like if I want to put myself on any type of regimen, I'll do it it's It's just <laughs> it's just something that it makes sense.
0: No look, I say this with nothing but admiration because I am the opposite like i love I would love one of my you know if I had a bajillion dollars fantasies is I have someone who just does meal prep for me, so I don't have to think about it at all because otherwise left to my own devices i I don't do um focus very well, I don't do routine very well. And um, someone said to me, like they talked to me about it as a business person. They go, you know, what are your entrepreneurial routines? I go, wake up, go to the bathroom, uh, go to sleep at the end of the day, everything in between completely up in the air. And wow. yeah, it's, uh, and I love the idea of having that kind of structure, but uh, it's not going to happen of my own accord. I would have yes. to have someone, you know, not beating me over the head with it, but making it so that it's the easiest thing for me to do. Cause I won't do it on my own.
1: hmm." I think I like what I said before like I enjoy it because it frees up the yeah. other part
0: of my no uh, I, I I know someone I'll say this in a in a fun way I know someone who le, who is the spiritual leader of a cult. We're not mm-hmm. friends. I just know who this person is. I've been involved in in private or semi-private conversations with this person. Who said Her favorite thing, and that for some people might give them a, you know, at least narrow that down into a smaller number of humans that I could be talking about. Her favorite thing is when she's back at her ashram in India, because since she's the head of everything, everyone takes care of everything for her. And she Mm -hmm. says, all I have to do is what they asked me to. I don't have to do any thinking about any of those things during my day. And I can think about all these other things because all of that's taken care of. Mm Mm-hmm. Boy, now that I say it, it sounds pretty delightful. Yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not there yet, um, but um, maybe someday I'll be able to actually try that out. Now, do, so when you do that, are you doing setting all that structure up for yourself and setting up all the doing all the meal prep and all that, or do you have anybody helping? Because if I again, if I have to do all the setup for it, if I have to plan for it, then it's mm. not going to happen. Mm.
1: Yeah, I set it up. I set it up. So for my first coach, she basically taught me how to set it up. And then I just stuck with it. Love it. All the years, <clears throat> even after like moving on from her.
0: This is one of those things where I, it wouldn't, I would never, I've never had this thought, pardon me. <laughs> I never imagined really thinking about the difference between you and me in this case of, of what that's like and what it would take to really go through the motions, make it happen and then stick to it. And, um, uh, now that it's in my brain, it's like oh, okay, definitely fascinating. Definitely have to try that at some point.
1: Hmm. The other thing, <laughs> one thing that is helpful is fear when it <laughs> comes to prep. How so? Because you're going to be on stage in like something this big, right? So, and you're going to be photographed. So you have that fear, that element of fear in terms of preparation. I didn't have enough fear on my last show. <laughs> I was just a little bit too confident, <laughs> but I had substantial fear for all the other shows.
0: Oh, that's brilliant. Well, and another thing, you know, so you weren't doing this with any uh, medical assistance, let's call it for lack of a better term. Were the women you were competing against, were they on gear or were they natural? I have no clue. Didn't come up in conversation? No. Never. It's, you know, this guy that I, I know another bodybuilder who was a, uh, national champion way back when to this day, he will not admit that he ever took anything where it is so screamingly obvious that he and all of the people who were competing in that era were Mm -hmm. will, will not admit it. I mean, like, it's like Liberace never admitted he was gay. This guy will never admit he injected anything into his body and, um, Could not be more obvious. And I find that really interesting because lately, especially on YouTube, a lot of bodybuilders are coming out saying, yeah, here's what I did. Mm -hmm. And what's most fascinating to me about that is all these guys, and this is not really surprising, they're all hyper responders. Like a lot of these guys are taking less testosterone than your average 50 year old gym rat who's taking to try to just stay in shape and, you know, pretend Mm -hmm. that he's not getting older because they just are hyper, hyper responsive. And, um, and that's just shocking to people. It's like, Oh, I took just this little thing. It's like, here's exactly what I did. And it, I'm a big fan of people telling the truth. I don't know why it's just one of those things. And I wish this, con- these conversations were more open about what people are or aren't doing Be- because if nothing else, it makes it so it's harder for you to compare yourself to someone who you're nothing like and set mm-hmm. unrealistic expectations.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I have this conversation with one of my friends who also competes um, in a different federation. And when we look at people on Instagram, especially who will say that they'll coach someone, but it's like, <laughs> it's like you should be, you should be more honest about what it is that you're doing to look the way you look, you know, instead of marketing it as being natural when we know that it's not
0: natural. And and even if it is natural, that's another thing too. It's like you've got freaky genetics. So oh,
1: yeah. You know? Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, we, yeah. we had a guy on our gymnastics team in high school who we didn't, I don't think we I don't know if we ever confirmed this, but he was just a beast. The guy just got bigger every day. And we used to tease him. It's like, So what'd you do for your biceps today? He says, Cheerios. I mean, he just kept getting bigger and he died relatively young. And because of what he died from, we suspect he had a genetic disease where he didn't produce myostatin, which for people who don't know, limits muscle growth if, you have, if you're if you producing myostatin. And if you don't produce it, basically you just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger with mild stimulation. And that's what this guy did. You know, if he was around now, he could pitch himself as, you know, I can make you look like me by doing my workout, but no one could ever look like him because he has this, Genetic anomaly. And, mm. uh, uh, but yeah, it's, it's sort of like I was at a paleo event, one of the first paleo events. And I said, there's 10 of you quote experts. None of you can agree on what paleo is. And, um, and then you're not accounting for, you know, genetic freakishness. And they're like, they said, like what? I said, well, you're suggesting everyone should eat the same thing. But why would I, I'm a complete genetic freak. Uh, eat the same thing as, you know, some 105 pound Kenyan who runs marathons. And they go, well, why do you think you're a genetic freak? I said, oh, for men at that time, for men over 45, I'm the third fastest Jew in the world. So,
1: yeah, it, I believe it because I saw you in action with the high jump and you had the best form at everybody. <laughs>
0: but, and I had no idea how that happened because my parents were not athletic. Um, and then I found my my mom's father. And I take it from my mom's side of the family. I found my mom's father's high school yearbook. Um, when they were moving out of the house and about to throw it away. And I found his picture and underneath it said gymnast. And I said, how come you never told me he was a gymnast just like me? And my mom literally said, I had no idea. No way. Never came up in conversation.
1: Oh my goodness.
0: Yeah. So, you know, I mean, and and for me, just for the sake of doing it, combine that with the fact that my high, junior high school and high school gym teacher was the like three-time world and five-time national tumbling champion and one of the greatest teachers of anything ever. If I I had been living literally across the street from where I grew up, I would have never met him. And so, you know, put that all together. It's just all, it's 99.9% luck. And that missing 0.1% is probably also luck. Hmm. So anyway, well, Amir, this is such a pleasure um, seeing you again, even though my memories of our first meeting are at best vague. And if it makes you feel any better... When I went to my 30th high school reunion this woman walks up to me and I look at her name tag and I'm thinking okay we were definitely good friends in high school and that's all I've got and um I mean I just oh, no. couldn't find a memory and and then she says oh remember when I came and stayed at your place in New York for a couple of weeks and I'm thinking nope and I'm saying yep <laughs> oh no memory is just a weird thing and um so anyway there's that but most importantly um if people want to get in touch with you for any of the things that we've talked about or more how would they do that
1: um they can go to my website it is holistic or they should follow me on instagram it's at amira lamb um let's see let's
0: spell that one for people
1: A-M-I-R-A, lamb, like the animal, L-A-M-B. There
0: you go. So please do take her up on that. Um, I'm so thrilled to hear um, the things you're doing. You know, it's I I do have this idea that over the next 10 years, we're going to see more and more people starting to get hip to the importance of natural movement, starting feet first, obviously. FYI, there's a major, major medical organization doing a study on elderly people and balance, and it's going to be using our shoes for the what they're going to wear in that study or at least for the people who are not in the control group <clears throat> and i i know there's a lot going on that's going to get more and more attention for the importance of foot strength for balance agility mobility and everything else we do so um i th- i'm i'm looking forward to when you and many of us uh, will be able to take advantage of that awareness i mean it couldn't be more obvious except mm-hmm. that it's not that obvious for some reason so but because it's one of those things that when you hear it you just go yeah, that makes sense. I can see that, you know, grow, 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 and then go exponential phenomenon. And uh, so, and it's, and it's people who are doing work like you're doing that help make that happen. So thanks for being part of the tribe as it were.
1: Yeah, gladly.
0: So everybody else, thank you all for being here. Just a reminder again: go to www.jointhemovementmovement.com for previous episodes. To subscribe, to find out about new episodes, to find out all the places you can get the podcast if you're not getting it somewhere you like right now, and um, find out where we are on social media. And if you have any questions or feedback or ideas or people that you think should be on the show, drop me an email. I'm at move m o v e at jointhemovementmovement.com. And until then. Go out, have fun, and live life first.